Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous, and he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would bless this study of this wonderful book of Jonah. Would you teach us of your mercy and your compassion and your love for us, even wayward sinners like Jonah. Pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The call to Jonah was clear, direct, And sudden, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Jonah didn't have any kind of preparatory conversation with the Lord. He didn't speak with the Lord at a burning bush like Moses did. He wasn't transported in a vision into God's presence, seeing the majesty and holiness of God, where God said to Isaiah, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, send me. I'll go. No, the message came clear and direct to Jonah. Arise and go to Nineveh. And the Lord was doing something altogether new. Because Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. Prophet of the Lord 
was God's mouthpiece to speak to God's people. And yet the command was go to Nineveh. Nineveh, not, not to Jerusalem, not even to Samaria, but to Nineveh in Assyria, a foreign country, a country, a, a people outside of God's gracious covenant, even a hated enemy of God's people. Uh, but it was a message of judgment, wasn't it? Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The ungodly feel that God doesn't see. God pays no attention. God has only eyes for his beloved people, but our God, our holy God, sees all, the righteous and the unrighteous. He sees public wickedness and private wickedness. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And the evil of Nineveh had come before the Lord, and the Lord sent Jonah, and he said, Jonah, go and tell them, I see your wickedness, and I disapprove of your wickedness, and judgment is coming. But with our God, beloved, there is something hidden in a message of judgment from our God, because our God is holy and just, and yet he is also gracious and merciful. God will destroy his enemies. He will defeat them. He will justly bring about perfect righteousness. And he had purposed to bring judgment upon Nineveh. And yet it was his sovereign mercy to warn them that judgment was coming. And when God gives a message of judgment, there is a glorious hidden message of unless and perhaps. Judgment is coming unless you repent. And if you repent, perhaps God will show you mercy. But beloved, our obedience to the Lord is directly related to our reception of the love and mercy of our God. Our hearts are rebellious, and in our rebellion, there is a blindness, a darkness that fails to grasp the fullness of God's love and mercy. And unless and until God himself pierces the darkness of our hearts, with his grace and mercy, we will remain in our rebellion. And this is perfectly true for those who are apart from Christ, who do not have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit dwelling within them. But it's also true for us who are in Christ Jesus. You and I have hidden rebellion in our hearts due to our inability to grasp the fullness of God's love and mercy. But here's the thing about our God. He is relentless with his grace. He loves his people so profoundly that he pushes us to the point where we will receive his grace and his mercy 
and walk in the fullness of joy. And that pushing is what our God did in the life of Jonah. And he says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. Jonah rose, but to flee, to flee to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa. So the the distance between Israel and Nineveh is about the distance from Prosper to Colorado Springs. And if Colorado Springs is in one direction, what what Jonah essentially did was God said, go to Colorado Springs. And Jonah said, well, I'm going to go down to Galveston, get on a cruise ship, and I'm going to cruise down to Brazil. Tarshish was, uh, Nineveh is to the northeast of Israel, and Tarshish is about as far west as you could get. On the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, maybe the western coast of Spain. And Jonah went down to Joppa to flee to Tarshish. The prophet Isaiah said uh, he lists Tarshish as a place that did not know of God's power and glory, away, a place away from the presence of the Lord, so to speak. And that's exactly what Jonah was intending to do. Now, uh, make no mistake about it. Jonah was not merely disobeying the Lord. This was Jonah's great resignation. Jonah was saying, if this is what you want me to do, Lord, then I quit. If this is your message, you can find someone else. And what he did was exceedingly sinful. Jonah was a prophet of God Most High. He was an ambassador of the Almighty, a servant of the King of Kings, and he was commissioned with a message to bring to the city of Nineveh. It was not his place to refuse or to ignore the Almighty God, yet that's exactly what he did. He rebelled, and you see a downward trajectory, a downward path of his life. See what it says? It says, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He went down into the belly of the church, or the belly of the the ship, and eventually he would be cast down into the very sea. He wanted to go away from the Lord. We can't underestimate the extent to which he is willing to rebel. It says that he went down to Joppa, found a ship, and he paid the fare. That fare would have been significant. Some commentators think that that uh, voyage from Joppa to Tarshish would have taken up to a year, a year-long journey on this ship. He paid that fare. But not only that, he subjected himself to the sea. Some of us aren't too keen on swimming and water. The Israelites feared water. They, they held the, the sea as a, with suspicion and fear to the point where they saw it as a, a symbol of chaos, even death itself. But Jonah is so set on fleeing the presence of the Lord that he's willing to undergo the untamed chaos of the sea rather than to remain at home in the presence of the Lord. But even though Jonah was done with the Lord, 
the Lord was not done with Jonah. And as soon as the ship set off into the Mediterranean and was a little bit away from the dock, the text says that, verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. That, that Hebrew word hurled is uh, used also in, uh, to refer to a javelin. And the Lord cast his weapon of war at Jonah as an act of severe grace as Jonah sought to flee from the Lord. And at this point, we, the story is really a tale of two reactions, a tale of two responses. On the one hand, you have these professional pagan sailors on the ship, and on the other hand, you have this land-loving prophet of the Lord. And this mighty tempest comes on the sea. The ships threaten to break up, and, and these professional sailors who have committed their lives to this, it says they were afraid. Uh, in Hebrew, the Hebrew language often will repeat words for emphasis. And literally what it says is they, they feared with a great fear. They feared for their lives, that they were going to die in the midst of this storm. And it says that they, they all began to hurl cargo into the sea. They feared for their lives, and they were willing to risk their future financial welfare. This was probably a cargo ship, and this is probably how they made their money by bringing this cargo. This wasn't just their you know, duffel bags. This was their, their livelihood. But in, in a moment of fear of their lives, their possessions meant nothing. And so they cast the cargo overboard in order to lighten the ship. And it says that they each cried out to his own God. That they were unable to gain the foothold in the storm that they wanted to. And so they cried out for deliverance, each to his own God. These pagans trying everything they could. In the midst of this storm, well, the sailors are doing everything they can and all their might and all of their religion Jonah is fast asleep. He's down in the belly of the ship. Some think that that Hebrew word that is translated here, fast asleep, he was actually snoring. He was, he was so sound asleep, they, they could hear him snoring while he was asleep. And the captain comes down and he says, Awake, or what do, we, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us. He's not, this captain's not trusting in the triune God. He's just grasping at straws. You know, everybody, everybody needs to help out here. We're about to die. Try, try anything. Cry out to your God. But Jonah remains silent. Jonah's not even willing to cry out to the Lord for deliverance. He's not doing anything to save the ship. He's just asleep and silent. And so the sailors, unable to affect any change, decide that these superstitious sailors, they say, let's, let's cast lots. 
<clears throat> so kids casting lots was a way that um, in the Old Testament, sometimes they would make decisions. It was like throwing dice. And Proverbs says the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And even these pagan sailors, they, they said, well, let's, let's cast lots. Let's figure out who's to blame for this. So they cast the lots, and the Lord points his finger at Jonah. So this, the sailors march over, and they begin to interrogate him with a series of questions. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What is the people? What is going on, Jonah? And his answer is remarkable. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's a remarkable answer for three, three reasons. I mean, we could probably come up with more, but I see three things. The first is, he says, I, I, it's... I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. He's, he's acknowledging that God is the sovereign creator of all things, heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and that he's omnipresent, he has authority over all things. There's no place that he can actually run from this God. The second one is um, what he doesn't answer. The sailors asked, what is your occupation? And where do you come from? Where's your country? And notice he says, he just says, I am a Hebrew. He neglects to say, I am a prophet of God Most High. Jonah has, in his mind, effectively abdicated. He's given up his claim to being a prophet. He has quit wholeheartedly. And he believes that he's been He's given up his, his role altogether. But the third, and this is where I think we need to pay particular attention, is he says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Beloved, the, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, to, to say that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ means that you are a God-fearing person. You you realize the holiness of God and his rightful claim over all things. You reverence him as the holy God of the universe. And so to be a believer means to be, to fear the Lord. But fear of the Lord works itself out with outward obedience. And what has Jonah demonstrated with his life? Has he demonstrated anything that resembles a fear of the Lord? God said, arise, go to Nineveh. He said, no, I'm going to flee and go to Tarshish. The Lord sends his powerful tempest. He falls asleep. The sailors say, cry out to your God. He says, no. And now he won't even acknowledge that this, this is the calling that the Lord has put on his life as a prophet of the Most High. His every action doesn't show a fear of the Lord, but a disregard and a contempt for the Lord. And beloved, uh, this is so important for us because I, I would guess that almost every one of us here would say the words, I fear the Lord, 
But what is the story of your life? What story does that tell? When God speaks, do you submit to it wholeheartedly, recognizing that God is clearly the sovereign over all things? And not just that, but that he loves you and that he is caring for you in a unique way? Or do you, do you respond with a, a judgment of what the Lord has saying, what the Lord says, and a, a form of rebellion? Uh, Lord, um, I'm just not comfortable with that. Um, Lord, I, I just don't really think that's my calling. I will find something else, maybe, or... I know you're telling me to do that, Lord, but I don't see how that will work. Or, just straight up, that's not really what I want to do. I've got other things that I would rather do than submit to that. And for Jonah, he would rather die than submit himself to the Lord. Because what does he say? They, They say, well, what? What should we do to you? And he says, he says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, for the sea will quiet down, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon me. It's like he's shaking his fist at the Lord and saying, Lord, I, you can cast your storm at me. I will not relent. I will not repent. Just kill me and be done with me. In fact, in this story, like who, who's the one that actually fears the Lord? It's not the prophet of the Lord. It's, it's these pagan sailors, isn't it? Because Jonah says, cast me into the sea. And he has like no regard whatsoever for these pagan sailors and the, their life in the midst of this storm. But they show a regard for his life. He says, cast me in the sea, and it says that they, they gave all their strength. Literally, they dug into the sea, rowing with all their might. No, we're not going to kill you. We're going we're gonna, to you know, work this out. We're going to get back to the dry land. But the, they were contending with the Almighty, and their, their efforts were futile. And so they couldn't save him. And so they cried out for mercy. Jonah, Jonah wouldn't cry out for mercy, but these sailors cry out to mercy. Look, look at what they say. Verse 14, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, and this, this is his covenantal name. These pagan sailors switched from calling him just God, Elohim, to Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord have done as it pleased you. They submit themselves to the sovereign will of the one true and living God. And they pick him up and hurl him into the sea. And immediately the storm ceases and the water becomes still. And again, it says, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They feared the Lord exceedingly. And the response was worship. They offered 
sacrifice, where they sacrificed sacrifices and they vowed vows to the Lord. These pagan sailors worshipped the Almighty God. And then, despite Jonah's hard-hearted rebellion against the Lord, despite his unwillingness to cry out for mercy, despite his murderous indifference to these sailors, the Lord was not done with Jonah. And in his mercy, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah in order to preserve his life. Jonah just wanted to be done, and the Lord said, not yet. Not yet. And beloved, as we consider this passage, this, this story of Jonah, there's just a few things that I think we really need to pay close attention to. Just four things that I would highlight. The first is we can't miss the fact that God uses wayward sinners to carry out his glorious purposes. Jonah is clearly not a man who has it all together. He is given a task that is way beyond his maturity level and his pay grade. And yet God chose Jonah to do that work. He called Jonah specifically. And God calls you to Speak of the hope that is within you, to share the gospel of grace, to live it out, to bear witness with your life, to be salt and light in the midst of the world and the, the relationships that the Lord has given you, and even to serve within the church. And you may feel like, Lord, I just don't have the maturity for that. I'm just not there yet. And the Lord knows who you are. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your sins. He knows, just like he knew the hardness of Jonah's heart, he knows where you, your blind spots of rebellion are, and yet he chooses you. In fact, if you hesitate because of your lack of maturity or your weakness, then you're in a better place than even Jonah, because who is sufficient for these things? Who has known the mind of the Lord? And yet God calls us, even the, the, the things that are not, the weak things, to be the, the vessels of his grace. But, and part of his glorious work is the second thing we need to see is that God works in us even as he works through us. Yes, he calls us to do the things that he calls us to, but we are a work in progress, just as Jonah was. Jonah clearly did not yet understand the power and the extent of God's mercy and grace, and yet it was God's purpose to work in Jonah that understanding of mercy and grace, even as he made him a mouthpiece of that mercy and compassion. God will teach you of his love and his mercy, even as you serve even as you do what he calls you to do. 
And in fact, the third thing that we need to see is that he even uses our weaknesses and our, even our disobedience for his glory. This is the, the, the power and the majesty of, of our God, beloved. Because Jonah was exceedingly disobedient. And yet, what did God do? Jonah refused to go to Nineveh, to those pagans, to, to even proclaim judgment. But as a result, God worked his mercy and his grace in those pagan sailors. Those sailors who didn't even know the name of the Lord, vowed vows, sacrificed sacrifices, exceedingly feared the Lord, the God who made the heaven and the earth. Beloved, nothing you do, nothing you or I or anyone can do can, can stop the mercy and the grace of our God. You can't screw it up. You can't. You can't, you can't stop it. Jonah wanted to stop it. He didn't want God's grace to go forward. And yet God said, my mercy will go forward. I will be merciful on whom I will be merciful. And beloved, you have the freedom. That gives you the freedom to serve with all of your might. Because in your weakness, you can't stop God from doing what he will do. He will shower his love and his mercy and his compassion. You can't stop it, but he gives you and me the gift of being part of his wonderful gospel. And the fourth thing, beloved, the final thing is, looking at Jonah, we must take seriously God's call to walk before him in the fear of the Lord. God has no desire for your lip service or for mine. Don't flatter the Lord with your lips while your heart is far from him. Don't flatter yourself with your confession as though that reflects a love and fear of the Almighty God. We can honor the Lord with our lips where our hearts are far from him, but God wants our hearts. His mercy is for you, and his love is for you. Our, to, to fear the Lord is to regard the Lord as holy, to submit to him as sovereign, and to bask in his love and his mercy which is yours and mine in abundance, beloved. And of course, the mercy and love and holiness and justice of our God meet together in the person of Jesus Christ. It's only because of Jesus Christ that we can call upon the Lord in faith. It's only because of Jesus Christ that he has given us a call as his fellow laborers. It's only because of Jesus Christ that we can have confident assurance of his never-ending mercy and love for us, beloved. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was called with a clear and distinct call, not to go to Nineveh, but to go into a 
unbelieving world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever, Jew or Gentile, pagan or Israelite, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Beloved, we have hope because Jesus Christ was willingly hurled into the the depths of the grave for three days and three nights so that you and I, like those pagan sailors, would be safe from the tempest of God's wrath, which is for us. And so, beloved, if, if you don't know Christ, that's the only place where you're going to find hope. That's the only, you're not going to be able to muster a fear of the Lord apart from Christ. But God has given to you his very son. If you are apart from Christ, if you don't know Christ as your savior, then you are, you are like one of those citizens of Nineveh or one of those sailors on the ship, apart from hope, seeking to gain salvation by your own strength. And it's futile contending against the Almighty. But, beloved, here's the hope. God sees you. He knows your heart and he extends his mercy to you. Just as he sent Jonah to Nineveh with a message of repent, so your God calls to you, repent and find salvation in Jesus Christ. And just as those pagan sailors cried out to the Lord for deliverance, our God says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This isn't a message of unless and perhaps. This is a message of unless and for certain because of the work of Jesus Christ. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But beloved, if you, your hope is in Christ, you have, you have called yourself a fear of the Lord, a Christian, one who finds their hope in Jesus Christ, and yet you sense that your heart has been far from him, you have not regarded the Lord as holy, then his mercy is for you too, beloved. God says to, to you, repent. He was not done with Jonah, and he's not done with you. His mercies are new every morning for you. Return to the Lord. Bask in his love and his grace Accept the gift of his spirit to work through you and let him work in you as he does. Your God says, I will lavish my grace upon you because I, have, I love you and I have always loved you. You are mine. Beloved, this, this is our God. This, this is our God, beloved. His, his mercies are new every morning, and they are never ending, never ending. He is holy, but he is, he is gentle, and he is kind, and he does not repay us according to our iniquities, but he lavishes upon us grace upon grace. So, beloved, turn to him. Return to him. Do it again and again and again for his steadfast love. His mercies are forever. 
He is for you. He loves you. And he is pleased to do this for his glory's sake. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you reveal to us your, your love and your power and your might. I pray, Father, that you would work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. Would you draw us near to yourself? Because we know that only as we receive the love that you extend to us, even the love you've extended to us in Jesus Christ, only there can we find the wholeness that we so need. Only there can we find the power to do what you've called us to do. Only there can we find the true devotion to serve you in love and adoration. So, Father, be pleased to do that so that we might glorify you and enjoy you all of our days. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.